This is How to Read. I'm Milan. And I'm Olivia, the producer of this episode. Today we're talking with Jill Richards, a professor of English as well as gender and sexuality studies. This episode is about why it's good to read like a teenager. There's a negative stereotype of teenage readers as naively absorbed in their favorite books. Think of young readers obsessed with Harry Potter. But Jill Richards believes that the best books and films aimed at teenagers actually create space to think for yourself. These works invite us to relate to them as fans, but in contrast to the stereotype of fans loving everything about their favorite fictional universe, Jill argues that fandom is about mixed feelings, loving some aspects of a work and rejecting others, and thus making it your own. Jill Richards, welcome. Thank you. You have been studying the history of YA literature. Um, so what are the kind of like key components of young adult literature? Yeah. So YA literature just basically means books marketed to young adults. And there's a lot of different subgenres within the category. So one early genre would be the problem novel which is basically a realist narrative about a single social problem. So like teen pregnancy or anorexia or teen suicide, but there's only one. So one issue per novel. Yeah. <laughs> and when you say realist, so that's like sort of familiar world. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Like not science fiction, no wizards or battles <laughs> to the death. Um, these are other genres. So the problem novel would just be very realistic. Um, and often really moralizing, and that it would teach you sort of the perils of premarital sex or the perils of being a gang member as sort of its reason to be. So so already yeah. there, I feel like, you know, there's this tension where, like, the readership is this category of teenagers, mm-hmm. um, but it, these novels at least seem to be written with a kind of adult's agenda. Yes. And I think we're seeing less and less of that. So that's why a lot of the novels I'm really excited about are pretty recent. So one more complicated version of uh, the problem novel that I really like is Dante and Aristotle discover the secrets of the universe. Um, Wow, that sounds like an impressive book. Is this one of the ones (laughs) in your pile? Yes, it's in my pile. It's got a great (laughs) cover. Um, Here you go. So Aristotle and Dante discover the secrets of the universe by Benjamin Alire Sayans. Mm-hmm. Tell me about it. Yeah, so <laughs> it's about these two Mexican-American boys. It starts when they're about 15, and it's narrated by Aristotle, Ari. So Aristotle is the philosopher Aristotle? <laughs> no. No. He's the 15-year-old boy. Okay. And his friend is named Dante. These are their real names. Okay. And... It's basically a love story, a coming out story, a story about second generation Mexican-Americans. And so there's a ton of different problems. So Aries' older brother is in prison. His aunt was sort of estranged from the family because she was a lesbian. He breaks both of his legs, so there's a disability narrative. Okay, so this novel is sort of distinctive because it's dealing with like many different kinds of problems. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. And these kind of older, the early problem novels were much more like single issue. Right. Um, right. So is that 
part of this sort of movement from the kind of didactic, like, you know, adults trying to tell teenagers Mm -hmm. how to live, what not to do. Yeah, yeah. Is this novel an example of a kind of shift where it's no longer, um, you know, trying to just achieve a single purpose? Yeah, it's hard to even say what it's trying to achieve. A lot of these more recent books are not liked by schools or parents. They're often banned because they don't have a kind of moralizing code or they're not sort of setting up a model of good adolescent life. Should we check on this tea? Oh, yeah. Oh, didn't know it would be that color. All right, can I pour you some of this tea? Yes, please. Thank you. The reason I like this book is because it's not really about the plot, it's about hanging out with the characters. And so really when I'm talking about these things that happen, they're not that important. Like the plot isn't that important, it's about the interactions between Dante and Aristotle that are really gripping. So it's actually less about the plot than about Mm -hmm. like hanging out with the characters. Mm -hmm. Um, And that, yeah, that's kind of, I remember like reading books for teenagers, YA books. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, sometimes it's, yeah, not about the plot, more about the characters, or even not about the characters, but kind of about the world. Like, Mm. you know, for me, Harry Potter was like a big obsession at one age. Well, actually, a whole, most of my teenage years. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I think even at the time, I didn't, I was aware that the characters in Harry Potter are kind of a bit thin. But for me, at least, that reading experience, what I think I most valued was kind of like Hogwarts, the place and the sort of like school routine and the like village nearby that they would go to in the woods. And yeah, so yeah, is there a way that some of these YA um, novels, they allow you to value different things within them? Like plot, characters? Totally. So I have this whole stack here of fan rewritings of Harry Potter. Here's one right here. This is Rainbow Rowell's Carry On, which is basically a version of shipping where you rewrite a story, but you make two characters usually of the same sex fall in love, but don't in the story. In this case, the Harry figure and the Draco figure fall in love. (laughs) So these are the characters from Harry Potter. Mm -hmm. um, And yeah, like in in the Harry Potter series, they're not in love with each other. No. They're rivals, (laughs) enemies, but here they're in love. Yes, and so it's just... But I remember this, I mean, as a teenager, um, uh, discovering this genre of writing on the internet, (laughs) for me, Mm -hmm. it was incredible, and, you know, I feel like tapped into something that I sort of wished could have been in the novels, but wasn't. Right. Um, So is this now a kind of genre of YA fiction that didn't exist before? Yeah, well, shipping or rewriting a narrative so that the characters fall in love with each other is a part of fan culture that goes way back. But now it's become a really big part of YA culture. So I have Akata Witch right here is a Nigerian rewriting of Harry Potter. And another really popular one is The Hate You Give by Andy Thomas, which is not really a rewriting of Harry Potter. It's about police violence and the shooting of a black teenager. But there's this whole sub-narrative about how these three inner-city black teens would be what they called thug wizards, and how the houses in Harry Potter are really gangs, and basically these different ways, populations that might be excluded from the Hogwarts world, really could be fans that rewrote 
what it meant to be sort of in a magical place. And I think these novels encourage that kind of thinking and writing so that the fan fictions that emerge around them are just part of this larger story writing impulse inside the novels themselves. Well, and like you were saying, like, you know, do you focus on the plot? Do you focus on the character? Mm -hmm. You know, or do you focus on the world? Like, Mm -hmm. it sounds like some of these works of fiction themselves are taking just the characters or just, you know, these aspects of the world mm-hmm. of, like, a Harry Potter, you know, just taking the Hogwarts houses right, and then right. making it your own, transforming it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, totally. One thing my students always notice is there's always a scene, this happens in The Hunger Games, it happens in Aristotle and Dante, it happens in all these different books where the protagonist looks in the mirror and says, I am Katniss Everdeen. I am. Yeah, it's kind of self-fashioning, right? Like, I am this and not that. My name is this and not that. And so, so many of these books, I think, are about making yourself into a certain kind of person against... Yeah, yeah. against... Against... Against whatever norms or other ideas people have about you. Aristotle and Aristotle and Dante says that his life is somebody else's idea and he doesn't like that. And we get that in a lot of these books. So it's almost like a, a sort of reversal of the um, those early problem novels that were really trying to like, you know, shape teenagers to be the sort of social norm. Mm-hmm. Um, and these newer ones are um, about teenagers shaping themselves against Mm -hmm. whatever the world is telling them they should be and that they don't want. Yeah. I mean, that's why I got interested in YA as an academic. I, I was a very shy and kind of weird child, right? Like many English professors to be. I just loved reading novels and it would be like eating a candy bar or something. I just wouldn't want it to ever end. And that was my relationship to Harry Potter for sure. But then when I was in graduate school, reading all day became my job, and it just it wasn't pleasurable in the same way. So I went back to young adult fiction, in part because I wanted to get back to this other relationship to the text that I had when I was younger, where I was Like less, another way of reading? Yeah, a different way of reading. I was less critical. I was a fan, I would say. And YA is so much about being a fan, and fan fiction, and fan modes of reception. So when you say reception, what is it you're meaning by that word? Right, I don't mean anything super technical. I mean, like, when you're reading, do you cry? Do you laugh? Are you absorbed? Are you bored? Or even, like, what does it mean when you read something and, and your first thought is, oh my god, I have to tell someone about that. I get that a lot. <laughs> so, yeah, reception, like, how you receive something, but then also, like, what it prompts you to do, what it mm-hmm. does to your body, mm-hmm. yeah, what socially you sort of do with it. Yeah, and it's not very scientific, right? Because something that makes me cry might not make you cry. Or what I find really scary, you could think is no big deal. Yeah, do, since starting to kind of like do this research on YA literature mm-hmm. and, and think about the kind of ways of reading associated with it, um, do you read other things in that same way? Yeah, I mean, actually, I have a forthcoming book that I co-wrote with three of my friends about Elena Ferrante's Neapolitan novels. And one reason why we wanted to co-write it is because we wanted to develop a critical language that is more fan-based, less about having a critical intervention and more about sort of 
having conversations about a novel that we really loved and what it means to love a novel, or in my case, what it means to love parts of a novel but not others, or to want to rewrite a novel. There's parts of the Neapolitan cycle that I'd really just like to change. (laughs) (laughs) But I feel like this is connecting back to the things you were saying earlier, like both the rewriting, you know, fan Mm -hmm. fiction, and then also um, liking some parts and not others, liking some characters and Mm -hmm. not others, liking the characters but not the plot. Like, so so reading like a fan, whatever your age, whatever you're reading, is also maybe about being kind of selective and not kind of apologizing for that. Yeah, I think people criticize it because they say, okay, well, fans read uncritically and they just like everything and they take it in and they don't think about it. But I actually think fandom is, is a lot more complicated than that. And it's about having mixed opinions about a work, liking some parts but not liking others and allowing yourself to think about why that is. So in a way, could we say that like reading like a teenager is is more critical in that you're not just like taking the whole thing as it comes, but you're like, okay, well, I think this is good and I don't think this is good. Totally. I don't know, I think it's sort of an, maybe an academic mindset, but also just like an adult mindset where you read something and you have to judge it as a whole, mm-hmm. you know, and you're like, mm-hmm. well, I don't know, like a Shakespeare play or something. Mm-hmm. You can't just be like, oh, I liked one scene, but not the others. <laughs> and I think I'll rewrite the end. Yeah. <laughs> well, Joe Richards, thank you very much. Thank you. That's it for this episode. For links to books mentioned in our discussion, plus further reading, visit our website, howtoreadpodcast.com. You can also listen to two bonus clips. One of Jill explaining how the teenager was invented as a new kind of consumer, and another about a Danish YA novel that takes anti-moralizing to disturbing extremes. To hear about our latest episodes and news, follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, at HowToReadNow. This episode was produced by me, Milan Talunen, and by me, Olivia Branscom. Our theme music is by Poddington Bear. Special thanks to Columbia University for its support, and thank you for listening.